Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Well, let me affirm your... uh decision uh, to be in God's Word again on Sunday night. You've probably already heard a message from God's Word today, but here you are again with a hungry heart, and um, I just want to compliment you on that. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God, and these are days when we desperately need to have greater faith. I want to confess that my faith is being tested, and uh, I'm very grateful to the Lord for uh, this privilege to preach his word here at Calvary Chapel South Bay. And I want to just say welcome to the Calvary uh, Chapel family, first of all, uh, to this uh, teaching. Let me just say that you are loved and you are longed for uh, in the name of Christ. And this uh, nearly empty worship center, I mean, God's doing a thousand different things during this COVID virus. Obviously, one of the things he's doing is discipling cameramen everywhere. Because these guys need the message so bad, and they're the only audience here, so we're preaching it up strong to them. God's doing a thousand different things, but you just need to know this. And even those of you who are joining us from other uh, worship experiences, your pastors are longing for you. The room where you worship is, is literally crying out for your presence. And in God's timing, all of that is going to be restored in a beautiful way that honors God. I'm already just counting the days till the first note of worship. This house was designed to be a house of loud, celebratory confession of the truth about Jesus Christ. We're going to get back to all that very soon. In the meantime, uh, my a little contribution to this uh, big thing has been a study on promises. And we're actually, I said to Pastor Jeff uh, just lately, I, I wish there was a different word than the word promises, because what God's doing when he promises and what we're doing when we promise are so entirely different that it's just difficult to even um, that we use the same word. So <clears throat> at the start of every teaching, I've been doing what I would call a theology of promise. And because I've already been talking for over two minutes and we haven't got to the Bible yet, I start to feel nervous. So let me just say in this message, we're going to be in Titus chapter one, go there now and please. And then we're going to be in Isaiah 43. And then we're going to be in first Corinthians 10 at the end of the message. Okay. So Titus chapter one And just a little review of our theology of promise, this being the fourth message, we have a fourth truth where we started at the beginning was, was that God is a promiser. In Titus chapter one, it begins, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God, of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Here it is. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. I was trying to think of a joke that I could tell you so that I got a lot of them, but I decided to pass. But because at the end of it, I was gonna say, I'm a joker and I love to tell jokes. I got probably 15 or 20. The reason you can never remember a joke is because you don't write it down, y'all, okay? But I do write them down. I got a ton of them. I'm a joker. I like to tell jokes. God is a promiser. He likes to make promises. And that's why it says here, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot, the King James says, who cannot lie, promised, promised. Why did he promise? Because he's always promising. He can do it. 
We can't. He knows we need it. What would you do? He's a God of love. He's promising all the time to fill the gap between now and when it's going to happen. He's constantly assuring his children. Those are his promises. Now, I wanted to kind of bring this equation to your attention this way. And I've been using these envelopes, hopefully, to get it across. This is, this is what we're doing when we promise, okay? That's us, me and you at the top. When we promise, we say, I want to. I want to do that for you. I want to get you that for Christmas. I want to fulfill that duty in your life. I want to, and I'm going to try. So you add that up, wanting to, and trying adds up to what? It adds up to, I have no idea if that's going to happen. I want it to. I'm going to try. What percentage of human promises are fulfilled? Don't ask a politician. Now, God, on the other hand, is very, very different. This is why I was recommending a different word, but we're kind of stuck with the English language. I'm not even on that committee. God wants to and can. We used to sing, he can do it. Yes, he can. He can prove it. Our God can. God wants to and can add that up and it gets to will. Will. Do you see the difference? They're just completely different. Us, God. So every time we talk about promises, you've got to understand God's a promiser. It's in his nature to make and keep promises. That was the first theology. God is a promiser. And then God keeps his promises. That's why the Titus passage here says that he cannot lie. If he spoke it, it's a certainty. If he spoke it, it's a certainty. Now, this third thing, God's a promiser. God keeps his promises. God, last time we talked, before Easter, we talked about God wants us to test his promises. And I used the example from Malachi 3. God wants us to test his promises about faithfulness and giving. And he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse and test me in this. I was like, you don't think I'm faithful? You don't think I see your needs? You think you're better on your own? Come on, let's get it on right now. Test me. God wants us to test his promises. It's really a revolutionary thing. Now, <laughs> because I've been doing this for a little while, I always hear this person, and, and I'm, I don't know this church as well, but, but um, there's always this person that comes up to you when you say things like, God wants us to test his promises, and, and uh, sometimes a man, sometimes a woman, but... Um, Pastor James, Pastor James, you got to stop saying that about how God wants us to test his promises. Okay, 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 why do you want me to stop saying that? Because it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Did she get me? Did she get me? Well, wait. What's she referring to? Well, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, do you remember the whole thing where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? And Satan came and began quoting the word of God to Jesus, which that's so hilarious, right? Jesus is the word of God, and Satan's plan is to trip him up by quoting the word of God to the author. Such a bad plan. But he tried, because he knew there was no way to move uh, God's son. Maybe he thought his humanity would be frail. I don't know. He was desperate, whatever. The Bible does say that he's desperate, by the way, because he knows his time is short. Amen. So, but they're in the wilderness and he hasn't eaten for 40 days. And Satan comes to test him and he's like, um, you take him up into a high place and he says, throw yourself down from the temple. 
For it is written, this is where Satan quotes the Bible. And he says, for it is written that he shall give his angels charge over you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. I mean, it's such a play for entertainment, right? Do you get it? It's like, come on, do, do it. Throw yourself off the temple. And then these angels will come firing in and catch you before you land. And, and Jesus said to Satan, it is written you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So maybe the little lady's right, right? You shouldn't be saying put God to the test when God says don't put me to the test. Actually, the passage that Jesus is quoting, he quoted Satan's, he quoted the word in answering Satan's misquoting of the word. It's Deuteronomy chapter six. And it says there, do not put the Lord your God to the test as they did at Massa, M-A-S-S-A-H. It means um, the word actually in the Hebrew, it means testing, the testing. Don't do that again. Remember when you tested God, don't do that again. And do you remember the children of Israel? They were, they were like um, always, always complaining lest we're too hard on them. We have these same tendencies and they were like, we're thirsty, we're thirsty, we want water. Now, you know, you can't go for like three days without, so they had water. I don't think they really meant we want to drink. I think they meant we want to go swimming. We want more water. We want it available. Where's a lake? And because obviously they weren't existing without some provision of water in there, whatever, they're, they're like, it's not good enough, God. It's not good enough. All the bread from heaven, we want water. And they were complaining like a lot to the point where Deuteronomy says that it, it's just not when, when God's given us so much, do you see? He's given us so much. And when our focus, God forgive us. When our focus is on what I don't have, what I don't have. That's saying to God, you're not good. You're not faithful. He's, he's not into it. Just a little side note. He's not into that. So we want to really try to avoid that. So that's what they were doing. And so then God, you know, fine, you want water? And he just, he gave them it, but... He was not happy about the attitude in their heart. That's why Satan brought it up. That's why Jesus quoted it. So I have to deal with this. Probably the number one principle of interpreting scripture is interpret scripture with scripture. So if in multiple places it says, don't put God to the test, and then in other places, it says relative to his promises, test me. And in regard to one promise about God's faithfulness to us in our tithes and offerings, he literally says, test me. Now put all of that together, what do you get? You get this. Don't put God to the test except in matters about which God says, put me to the test. In those matters, put him to the test. So... Okay, fine. Okay, well, good. Did we really work it out? Are you okay now? Are you with me? Because I'm imagining that person. I don't want, I want you to come with me through this message and I don't want you to be off on the side because you're not putting it all together. We can test God's promises. That's what faith is all about. Remember we talked about walking out on a pond early in winter and not sure if the ice will hold me up. God wants us to get out on his promises so that we can learn and see that they do hold us up. So we're adding to our theology of promise. God is a promiser. God keeps his promises. God wants us to test his promises. 
Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Come on now, let's move on. Okay, fine. Here it is. This is super important. This is the fourth part of a theology of promise. God, this is really kind of a big deal. God's promises are activated by faith. So they're not activated by knowing. Not very much is actually activated by knowing. Do you know that? Do you know that not much is activated by knowing? Do you know? Do you know? Want an illustration? Okay, okay. So um, are you off your meds? Are you? <laughs> Hopefully you don't have to say that in your family because somebody is really relying upon their meds for their health or for their emotional health or God knows that becomes pretty important, right? And then when people that love you see that you're getting a little stubborn, you're off your meds. You know, dad, dad, you need to get back on your meds. So, we, and if he says, well, I know that I need to be on my meds. How, how helpful is that? Come on, how helpful is that, right? That is not enough to know that you need to be on your meds. You need to be on them. Why, when I took a quarter of a donut bite this morning, did my wife say, don't eat that. You're going to wish you didn't eat that. Why? I know that I might wish that I didn't eat it, but... I was off my meds. No, 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 I wasn't off my meds, but maybe I wasn't living what I know. So in the matter of promises, it's not enough to know. Like I've got all of God's promises memorized. I'm following your series so closely, Pastor James, because I'm all about these promises now. Great. Knowing them equates to donuts and off your meds. We have to go to this next phase, and here it is. God's promises are activated by faith. And I want you to have it in advance. Here are the three things. I'm going to spend a little moment on each one of them. God's promises are activated by faith. We have to see the promise. We have to savor the promise, and we have to secure the promise. I'm going to challenge you to do all three of those things. Now, it doesn't matter whether... Um, you're relying upon, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or you're relying upon, I will never leave you or forsake you. These things are not activated in your life because you know them. They're activated in your life because you activate them by faith. Now let's talk about how, because that could be like preacher talk, right? Down with preacher talk, up with the promises. How many, how many drive through windows have you been to in the last month? So how great is it to drive away and find out the bag's empty? The bag's empty on promises if you don't activate them by faith. With me? So we're going to do three things to make sure the Big Mac's in the bag, to make sure the promise is actually holding me up. You got to see it. You got to savor it. You got to secure it. First, seeing the promise. Seeing the promise. You have to actually understand what it is. So... When God promised Samson some things or God promised Gideon some things, he didn't necessarily promise that to you. Is the promise conditional? Is the promise situational in the Bible? Or is, you know, God promised Moses that he was going to die on top of a mountain. That was not an awesome promise, but he had promised that he could see the promised land first. So should we be like taking that? No, no, that was a very situational thing. The promises that are for us, we're able to separate the situational promises and the conditional promises from the universal promises in Scripture. 
One of the ways we do that is we look for the things that are repeating. And that's why this actual passage of scripture is, uh, this actual teaching is so important because we're actually taking the major themes of God's promises in all of God's word. Remember the first week, um, you know, um, I will not fear God is with me and I will not doubt God is in control and I will not despair. God is good. In just a moment, we're going to get into um, the idea of faltering. But before I even get into that, let me just, I don't know, are you allowed to move the furniture around here just for a minute? Is that okay? Ushers? Oh yeah, that's right. There's no ushers here. I can kind of do what I want, right? So, so this is, imagine with me, this is a canoe, all right? This is a canoe. I should have brought a paddle, but I'll just imagine the paddle. And so as it relates to God's promises, we're going along, man, man, the water's white. These are level five rapids. And, and for sure, we all feel that right now, right? Never been through anything this, not like this. Not everyone, oh my gosh. So level five rapids. What are the promises? Number one, we look back in the canoe. God's in the back of the canoe. He's with me. And that's pretty awesome, right? Now, if you've ever done any canoeing, Kathy and I've done a lot of canoeing. Have you, have you ever noticed that um, the person in the front, man, we're just, like, we're just like slave labor. You know, you're just paddling or you're not. But the person in the back, they got all the control. They got all the control. I mean, if you've ever been in the back canoe, you dig that paddle down, you turn it like this, you can control everything. So um, the promises. God is with me. Um, yeah, but, but it looks like we're not going in a good direction, but God is in control. Yeah, but it looks like he's going to paddle me over the falls. Yeah, but God is good. You have to think that. If he's going to paddle me over the falls, we're going to have a nice landing. God is good. God is good. That's what we talked about last time. We're like, well, I just don't know. I just don't know how much longer I can keep doing this. That's what faltering is, and that's what today's promise is. Got it? He's with me. He's in control. He's good. And before we get to the fourth promise, let's deal with the condition that needs it. I will not falter. I will not falter. Now, faltering is, I mean, doubting even moments of despair as they are. We're still moving forward. We're still walking and trusting. But when a person falters, this is a big word in Scripture, by the way, when a person falters, that's like, man down, medic, medic, like that. Like it's, it's on. Faltering is about as serious as serious gets. And so if we're going to, back to where I was, if we're going to see the promises of God and know that they're for us and we're going to savor the promises of God, which is picture it as accomplished. Okay, so if you really want to get it into your heart, you got to picture it as accomplished. Imagine by faith what it's going to be like when your prodigal comes home. Imagine by faith what it's going to be like when all of your financial needs are met. Imagine by faith what it's going to be like when your marriage is stronger again like it used to be. Imagine by faith what it's going to be like when, okay, so you're going to see it is the promise for me. You've got to savor it 
That's part of faith. It's going to happen. I'm living as though it's already mine. I have it by faith. I do have it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. What are you holding on to? I'm holding on to God's promise. The substance of what I'm hoping for is that promise that I'm savoring by faith. And then you have to secure it. You have to bolt it down. And the way that you bolt it down is by, I believe, confessing your faith. I don't believe in the power of the spoken word. I don't believe in the power of positive thinking. I do believe in the power of negative thinking to some degree. But when I talk about securing it, I mean confessing the scriptures like Jesus did when he was tempted. I'll give you a reference. Um, uh, Mark chapter um, 11, verse 24 says, Whatever you ask in faith, believe that you have received it. There's the savoring right there and the securing. Believe that you have received it and it will be done for you. Whatever you're asking in faith, believe that you have already received it. By the way, you think about where my, where's my daughter when she's coming back to us and to the Lord. It's going to be awesome when she does. And all those gifts that we saw in her when she was young, they're all going to come to fruition. See, see it, savor it, secure it. I think I skipped over that. I apologize if that was a bit of a circle back. So now into the word falter, I will not falter. Turn with me over to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, if this passage isn't stained with your tears, you might not have known about it. This is the idea of faltering. Jesus said, uh, I have prayed for you that you will not falter. And um, falter is a lasting departure, an enduring defection. We don't want to falter, y'all. Hebrews would say that faltering is indicative of maybe never even being truly saved because he keeps his own, Philippians 1.6, and he perfects his own So we don't want to falter. Um, Notice here in Isaiah 43, and I would just say the context is God's children have been through a heavy season of discipline. If you haven't had some good long COVID looks in the mirror, you probably haven't optimized this time yet. If your heart isn't more tender to what you might have been missing in easier times, then God's purpose for you in this is not fully realized yet. I encourage you to join me in those kind of reflections. So as Isaiah chapter 42 winds up, Isaiah 43 begins so beautifully. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel. That's, that's a nice resume, right? How come you're talking? Oh, I created you, I formed you. Created you would probably be conception, existence. Life begins at conception, someone say amen. And then I formed you. I took you from a small little conception into a fully developed, birthed, breathing human life. Now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Um, Okay. I feel like I'm going slow. Sorry, I got to watch my time. Can I just say something about um, Israel? Israel, I didn't know this. I learned this in my study. But uh, the word 
Israel is actually uh, related to um, the word through that you're going to see later uh, in the text here. Israel and through, same word in the Hebrew. Remember that for when we get to it. He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. That word redeemed is pretty significant. It's used 119 times in scripture. It means to buy back as from a slave market. And this is the gospel, um, the good news, that uh, he paid a debt he did not owe because I owed a debt I couldn't pay. I was lost in my sin. I was sold out to the slave market of sin. And Jesus Christ, in all of his beauty and perfection, came and paid the price for my release on the cross of Calvary so that through faith in him, I can have my sins forgiven. Somebody shout, good news. Good news, that's the gospel right there, y'all. And we should like have a tradition where we cheer every time somebody summarizes the gospel. It's the best words we've ever heard. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. If you like to write in your Bible, just write Jesus right over the word redeemed. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Not some big blanket miracle. Not some magician sweeping his cape across the audience. You, particular salvation. You, I chose you. I know you. It's pretty awesome, right? You have your story, don't you? If you've turned from your sin and embraced Jesus by faith, then you have a story, don't you? God is the author of your story. You're just the teller of it. It's a story of grace. It's a story of redemption fashioned by the redeemer himself who says, I have redeemed you. It's so personal. I have called you by name. One of the things that pastors in larger churches, I can tell you struggle with is your heart of love is to know every person and to know them by name. And it's been real refreshing to kind of hit reset and start learning names. I've been keeping track of names. I've been asking people their names and I'm I wanted to make a joke there about the worship leader, Tex, but um, his name's Alex. I'm just kind of kidding around. It's fun to learn names, and it's real personal to be able to greet people by their name. And But we meet people who know a lot of people, and we learn right away they might not know our name. But their God and the God of the universe knows your name. He knew it before you were born, I have called you by name, and then these beautiful words, you are mine. Be careful about saying to your kids, you're mine. Be careful about saying to your partner, your loved one, you're mine. We aren't anyone's. We are not our own. We are bought with a price, Paul said. And only God can say about us, you're mine. And uh, here comes the incredible promise. When you pass through the waters, remember I told you to watch for the word through? That word in the Hebrew is very, very much like the word actually for uh, the nation of Israel. And it's just a beautiful thing that it's related to the word in Hebrew uh, that means one who crosses. God's people are the ones who go through. That's what we do. We're God's people. We go through. What's your plan for the COVID virus? We're going through, y'all. We're going through. Well, but, but hey, don't even... Don't say another word. We're going through. Last chapter in the book of Acts, Paul had been through everything. The final thing was the shipwreck. And the chapter begins, 
Acts 28, brought safely through. We were brought through. We're the ones who go through. We're the ones who get through things. Now, I know some of you are like, I want to go around. We don't go around stuff. We go through it. We don't act like it doesn't exist. We don't pretend things will be better tomorrow. We go through it. If I was there, I would say to you, come on, lift up your voice and say that. Say it. We're going through it. Those of you who are leading your homes, fathers and mothers, single parents, what a tough time for you. Start saying it out loud and confessing it. See it, savor it, secure it. We're going through. God's word says we're the people who go through. And we have a redeemer. He knows our name. And we're not going to falter. We're going through. When you notice it says, when you pass through the waters, there's the first promise in our series. It's everywhere in the Bible. I will be with you. God says, when you, this is, man, this is making my canoe analogy look like super smart, but I think I may have just stumbled on this part. So I'm going to go back to the canoe. When you pass through the waters, he's right there with you, steering, no matter how white the waters, no matter how loud the water fall in the distance, he's right there. He's with you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Have you ever walked out into the ocean or into a lake and you're like, um, deeper, 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 and then sometimes shallower, 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 and then that's the sandbar, and then deeper, 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 and you get to the place where, and I'm going to have to start doing this, or I'm not going to be able to breathe. I'm not as fond of giving my age as I used to be, but I'll just say that I'm old enough to know that at no time in my life have more people that I love felt more completely and totally overwhelmed and without resource. That helps us to be super careful. I talked to a counselor on the phone this week who said to me, more pregnancies and more divorces, nine months from, more babies and more divorces, nine months from now than ever before. So this is going in a good direction or it's going in a bad direction. And um, if you feel like you're just trying to sort of, you're like, man, I've been treading water for a long time. I don't know what you are, but the water won't overwhelm you. I've been treading water since I can remember. Awesome. God is holding you up then. He doesn't say we won't have our feet come off the bottom. He just says the waters won't take us under. They won't overwhelm us. That's what he's watching And that's why I said what I said in the canoe. It's great to know that God is with me. It's great to know that God is in control. It's great to know that God is good. But I'm just hanging on here, y'all. I'm just hanging on. I need a little more than it's going to work out someday. What do you have for me for right now? Here it is. I pray the Lord will speak this to your heart in a way that makes this messenger so insignificant. You're not going to lose it. You're not going under. This isn't the end. Nothing is over. God, forgive us for our lack of faith. And let's see his promises. 
He's with me. He's in control. He's good. And here it is. I will not falter. Why? Here it is. Because God is watching. God is watching. Don't you think God can see the thermostat and how hot it's getting? Don't you think God can see the depth and how deep it's getting? Don't you think God can see the impact that's having on you? And doesn't he know every one of us? He knows our frame, the Bible says. He remembers that we are dust. He even numbers the hairs on our head. He saves your tears in a bottle. His attention is so specific to you, the person named you. He knows what you can handle. And he's watching it. In fact, he changes the analogy from waters that might drown us, we fear, to fire that might burn us. He says, when you walk, you see it there? I'm still in verse two. Pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they'll not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. It's getting really hot over here, but you're not burned. A burned is damage that will not heal. I realize that that's a thin line. And I realize that it may be hard for you to hear that that hasn't happened already. But God, right? Just say it softly. God is the one, that's the one factor that is still out there. It's pretty nice, pretty nice piece to have, right? But God and his promises. I was rereading this week uh, in Daniel, and I thought I'd just read a portion of scripture, just kind of let it wash over you and bless you and feed you. Can I just read to you from the story of Daniel's friends? Daniel chapter three, then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. What, men who had been believing that honoring God was the most important thing and that that would work out. I had a conversation with a young man who said this week, Here, here's my problem, he said. What's supposed to happen doesn't happen. People do awful things and it works out for them. People do good things and it doesn't work out for them. This thing's broken. Um, God's allowing you to have that experience for now to strengthen your faith. But that is not true, what you said. Read Psalm 73. You know, oh my gosh, the wicked, the way they prosper until I went into the congregation of the Lord. Then I understood their end. See, so take your sense of it out of the next 15 minutes or 15 days or 15 weeks and put it in 15 months and 15 years and 150 years. And in every cycle, God looks more awesome. So get on it now by faith. He brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and... <laughs> I hear that joke. You heard that, my shack, your shack, and a bungalow? I've said that so many times that it's hard for me to read it and not say that. I'm okay now, though. Is it true, my shack, your shack, and a bungalow, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the... He's like, so if there's been any confusion here... We're going to have you do it now. So bring in the minstrels. When you hear the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trig and the harp and the bagpipe, this sounds like a Monty Python skit, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. If you, if you bow, it's going to be okay. 
But if you do not worship me, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? What do you think God thought when he heard that? Did God hear that? Is he watching? What did God think when he heard that? I'll tell you what he thought. He thought, game on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> gotta love these guys. We have, no, we have no need to answer this matter. Don't you love that? We're not even gonna answer you. What you're saying is so stupid. We're not even gonna waste words answering it. My wife has to say that to me sometimes. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire and furnace and he will deliver us, O king, out of your hand. But if not, I don't know what God's gonna do. I don't know if we're going over the falls. I don't know if we're going around the falls, but I just know down the road, no matter what, be it known to you, O king, that we'll not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and he freaks out and lights it up and lights them up and throws them into the furnace. I'm not gonna read all that, but verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished because they threw these guys down into the fiery furnace. In fact, it's so freaky in the part that I skipped over that the guys that threw them in got burnt to death, incinerated in a second. How hot is it? Um, I'm gonna go with hot here. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselor, hey, didn't we put three guys in there? And didn't we put three guys in there? Where's the other guy? He answered and said, I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Jesus, that's right. Jesus in the margin of your Bible there, Daniel chapter three. Came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the most high God, change of tune. Come out here. They come out and everybody's freaking out because when they saw them, the fire had not any power over their bodies. Their hair was not singed, their cloaks. The guys that threw them in got incinerated and the guys that got thrown in, it says they had no smell of fire upon them. Hey, child of God, that's your future. Doesn't matter how deep the water is, doesn't matter how hot the fire is. When it's all done, you're gonna be dry and you're not gonna have any signs of this fiery trial, none. I believe it by faith and I'm challenging you to see it and to savor it and to secure it by saying it out loud. We're gonna get through this. We're gonna get through this and it's gonna be awesome on the other side, praise God. So I will not falter, God is always watching. Now, when you, some people, when you think of God watching, it doesn't feel good. I could read you a lot of scriptures about the eyes of the Lord, they're inescapable. Proverbs 15, three, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Um, the eyes of the Lord keep all of his commandments. The eyes of the Lord are focused on matter. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. First Peter 3, 2. The eyes of the Lord are searching throughout the whole earth for those on whose behalf he can show himself strong. Second Chronicles 16, nine. And the eyes of the Lord are provoked to grace but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So if you have like weird thoughts about the eyes of the Lord, like that God is like a resentful friend, like how come they get to go to Hawaii? I've never been to Hawaii. Okay, well, I hope other awesome things happen to you. Um, God, everyone say God's not like that. God's not a resentful parent. He's like, nobody's like a hawk. 
He's like, up at 30,000 feet. And every time I like do this wrong, he's like, that's not what I want. And that's not God. Again, I'll quote the passage that says he has put your feet in a large place. God, do you really think God's breathing over every mistake you made? Has that been your experience? That every time you have a wrong thought or action, something awful happens immediately? I think that's not happening to any of us. We're all actually kind of shocked about how much he just kind of lets pass. So you think, well, but I think God's like that crabby church lady that you like to imitate. Oh, okay. So, you know, I'm sorry that your experience with faith is cranky, cantankerous, joyless people. We have some strange cousins in God's family. I'm just wanting you to see, don't put that on God. God's never dealt with you that way. God's not like that. Well, I think that, I think that God is kind of like a suspicious parent, you know, like, like, where'd you go? Who are you with? Why didn't you come home on time? Tell me the truth. Well, sometimes parents are fearful and they get suspicious because they're afraid because they love but God knows everything. He doesn't have to be suspicious. He's not suspicious of anything. He knows everything. And if you could just see that God's eyes are upon you is one of the most beautiful things that the Bible says. His, his eyes are upon you right now. He is looking at you and he is watching the temperature. Don't let her burn. Don't let him burn. He's watching the depth. He's not going under. If it gets any deeper, hold him up. That's God's watching. It is beautiful, attentive, but listen, born of infinity. He's not taxed. I love to say that God's ruling the universe with his feet up, right? It's not, he's like, eh, COVID virus, eh, this will be a different day. Well, not even a day really, because it's going to last for what, a year or something? And so that's in heaven, um, a thousand years, right, is a day. So this is like six minutes. You know, we can do this. I promise you, no stress. No taxing. We're maxed. Is God maxed? God is not maxed. God's watching. He's watching. And it's beautiful. He's watching the depth of the water. He's watching the heat of the fire. He's watching the strength that you need to endure. At the moment, you can't go on. At the moment, his will is available to you. At the moment, at the very second that your suffering is complete, God will say, enough. And you will say with Job 23.10, he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. So why does God watch? Isaiah 43, why? 43.3, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your savior. I give Egypt as your ransom. That's so beautiful. Yeah. The Egyptian army and all, all them got sunk in the Red Sea because God's like, that's not a big deal to get our, my people free. It's like, let's drown them and let's get the people that love me over the promised land. Even though they were so perfect and the adults would never even make the promised land, he still did that. He gave Egypt as their ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you, those are geographical designations entrusted entirely to God's people. Here, why? Why does God do that? This is really great. This is good pastoring, y'all. Um, I like to hear you just sort of preach this to me. Because you are precious in my eyes. 
Remember we learned about precious, exceedingly great and precious promises. Precious is a value word. Little kids know anything about precious. They just know about tasty and now and warm and stuff like that. You have to be around for a while to get precious, to understand where the real value is. And when God says about you, maybe something that you don't even feel about yourself. When God says about you, you are precious. That's a value statement. And I would just suggest to you that it isn't so much that the value's in us as much as it's the value that God has set upon us, which doesn't sound like good news, but it actually is good news because if the value isn't in me, but what God has set upon me, then I didn't earn it, didn't deserve it, and don't have to maintain it by my own great performance. I don't think I'm very precious this week. Yeah, you still are. Yeah, you still are. Well, if you heard what I said yesterday, you're still precious. He loves you and he has chosen to set his love upon you in Christ. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life, gospel. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring, I love this, from the east and from the west. This was a verse that my wife and I prayed over a prodigal daughter when it didn't seem possible that things would change. I will bring them from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. To the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone is called by my name for I created you all for my glory. I formed you. I made you. All right. New Testament verse and then we're done. Ready? Here it is. So if I will not falter, God is watching. It isn't that I'm not going to falter. It's that God's not going to let one of his children falter. That's what it is. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Do you know it? And if you do know it, can you get it out of the medicine cabinet and get it into appropriation? Here's the verse. No temptation or trial. The word can be translated either way. No, in this context, trial has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Everybody's, boy, was it ever truer? Everybody's going through the same thing, right? Everybody's going through the same thing. No trial is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, say amen. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tried beyond what you are able. He's watching. No more for her. Why do some people go through more? They can handle more. No more for them. He will not allow you to be tried beyond what you're able, but will with the trial make a way to escape. There's going to be a door out of this. Look for it. He's going to give you a door out. When you can't take any more, look for the door. Boy, that sounds like a good tweet. When you can't take more, look for the door. I just made that up. Thank you, Holy Spirit. When you can't take more, look for the door. God will provide a way out. This is promise number four. I will not falter. God is always watching. Now, do you know how beautiful it is to see and to savor and to secure the promises of God. This is why the saints of God are the most beautiful people on the face of the earth because they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And you're on a journey to become one of those people that we all so admire. Let's, let's get there together. Let's take hold of God's promises. And uh, I was thinking this morning about how beautiful it is to trust in the Lord. And that hymn came to mind. Um, maybe you've sung it. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Come on. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. 
If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.